Hello and welcome to week two of Flight Deck, an inside look at the New York Jets. I'm your host, Rich Samini. I cover the Jets for ESPN. I'm excited about this show because we have a special guest. It's uh, ex-Jets linebacker Marvin Jones, a good friend. We go back a long way. I covered Marvin's rookie year in 1993. I'm really dating myself there. But uh, Marvin's still involved in football, professional football, and he's still a passionate Jet fan. And I know he's very opinionated, and I'm sure he'll have some interesting thoughts. So stay tuned for the second quarter and that interview. For now, we have to deal with the news of the day, of the last few days. What the hell happened in Buffalo? 27-17 loss to the Bills. And, you know, and here's the scary part about it. As bad as that was offensively, that wasn't even close to being the worst game under Adam Gase. I think there were five or six last year that were worse, and that's not a good sign. But let's dissect this. And you may not want to hear this, but I'm going to say it anyway. That was so predictable. So predictable. Uh, We talked about it in last week's show I uh, enumerated some of the reasons why I thought this was going to be a struggle for the Jets. And, you know, I don't think it was shocking. I was texting with a former Jets player on Monday, the day after the Buffalo game, and he happened to catch the game on TV, and he told me he was not shocked at all. He said he expected something like that to happen. So that, to me, speaks volumes. I mean, look. Sean McDermott's been in Adam Gase's head for years. In seven games against the Bills, Gase's offensive had not scored more than 21 points. It was a new offensive line with four four new starters, no preseason games, lack of chemistry. Darnold had limited reps with his receivers. The timing was way off. Darnold just looked to me like he was rusty. His accuracy is off. His mechanics were sloppy. And he talked a lot about his footwork. And I'll give him credit. He's pretty open about discussing some of the weaknesses, things he's got to work on. And he always talks about how he has to tie his feet and his eyes together to improve his accuracy. It's something he worked really hard on in the offseason. There were a couple of plays there where you thought maybe both feet were tied together. It just was one of those days for Darnold. He said he missed three throws early that he usually makes. There was the delay penalty, the interception where he was throwing left and threw back toward the middle of the field, throwing a jump ball to the five foot nine Jamison Crowder. Not exactly uh, a smart decision there. And to me, the play that was probably the most alarming was the sack he took along the sideline. Uh, just got tackled out of bounds. And the thing about that play was he had Jamison Crowder open about 30 yards down the field, like wide open, would have gone for a touchdown, and he didn't see him, and he takes the sack. So like I said, that was alarming. Uh, But, you know, like I told you, you knew this was going to be ugly. Good offense takes time. It takes cohesion. And the Jets had none of that. So going in, you knew that it was just going to be really hard to be an efficient offense working against a very good defense. There was a lot working against them. And this is not an alibi for Adam Gase because, look, his job as the coach is to make the quarterback feel comfortable. And that didn't happen. Sam Darnold was not comfortable in the game. So that's a fail on Adam Gase. I thought they could have shown more creativity. I thought they could have used more 
smash mouth running with two tight end formations. They only used 12 personnel for six plays in this game. Uh, I thought that was too little. They try to they should have tried to emphasize the running game. And I'm going to tell you right now, it's not going to get better overnight. This is not a flick the switch kind of situation. And especially with the 49ers coming to, to town, that's a good defensive team. So it's going to take some time. I think a fair timetable is four weeks. You got Indy after that. Then you got Denver at home. Uh, and if they're still floundering around by then at the quarter pole, then I think it would be time to hit the panic button. But not yet. It was one game, one horrendous game. And don't get me wrong, I'm not excusing what happened in Buffalo because to start a game with three three and outs is just is pathetic and inexcusable. You wouldn't even expect that in your first preseason game. But I'm just saying relax a little bit, show a little bit of patience. If you want to blame it on the talent, that's fair. I told you last week, Darnold's supporting cast is suspect. Perriman is an habitually slow starter every year. Three catches for 17 yards. He had Trey White a lot of this game. Trey White is an outstanding cornerback. And welcome to life as a number one receiver, Brashad Perryman, because you're not going to get the second or third best corner anymore. Uh, Chris Herndon, who I'm very high on after the, after the training camp, he looked really rusty. It was his first game in two years, basically. Crowder had good numbers, but he also had a couple of drops. Uh, Hogan was a non-factor. He's an off-the-street free agent. You can see it. He can't separate, so that's going to be a problem. The Jets are really counting on uh, Denzel Mims and LaMichael Pirine to come back. And so what does that tell you? They're relying on two rookies, a second-round pick and a fourth-round pick, to come back and save the day pretty much summarizes what the state of their offense is. Uh, No doubt it's a flawed offense with a coach who, quite frankly, hasn't proven he can create a big-time offense without Peyton Manning at the controls. So Gase, still a question mark after 17 games. So these are all valid questions and criticisms. I'm just saying let's not overreact to one game. Let's give it the four weeks. We'll reassess at the quarter poll, and that's how this should be judged. Let's take it a little bit at a time. We'll be back with the second quarter. I'd like to welcome in my special guest this week, former Jets linebacker Marvin Jones. Had a long career with the Jets from 93 to 03, played in 142 games, and he was a great, great college football player, a Florida State Hall of Famer, and uh, quite a football career. And he's still involved in football, and we'll get into that a little bit, but I want to start talking about the Jets. Marvin, how you doing? Oh, I'm great, man. Thanks for having me on. All right, thanks for being here. First, let's start with Sunday's game. Now, I know you still follow the Jets. Yes. I I know you bleed green. Man, how tough was that to watch? Well, it was was definitely a tough game to watch because it seemed like the team from the start really didn't come out with the energy and intensity to play the game. So that's always kind of disappointing the way you start the first game of the season. Um, Obviously, there's a lot of things that, People are going to say attributed to that, especially, you know, with what's going on with the pandemic and not getting enough practice the preseason and things like that. But um, there were, you know, a whole lot of teams that played that did come out with that energy. So um, 
you can't you kind of use that as an excuse. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's opening day. How could you not have energy on opening day? I mean, I know that the stadium's empty, but still, opening day in the NFL, you would think a team would would bring the energy. Well, yeah, absolutely, and and that's one of the one of the one of the things you have to understand is that when you're a professional, you're getting paid a lot of money to play, and and this is not high school and college where you have to where your coach should be kind of your your motivator per se. Um, you know, but I think as I, as I kind of look at it, this team is kind of taking on kind of the personality of his head coach. <laughs> That's kind of how I, that? What do you mean by that? Well, because he, he doesn't, he's not as vocal as a lot of other coaches in, 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 as far as the media, as, as far as it, it seems like he's kind of more to himself. He's not really kind of. Uh, a public person. I mean, even if I look at a press conferences and things like that, I mean, you see a lot of the other head coaches. Um, I mean, you know, you kind of prime examples, just like guys like you know Bill Parcells, or or or. or but if you rule with a, you know, it, it, it may be taken the wrong way. Let me let me just explain what I mean. But if you look at a guy like Belichick, Belichick is not a rah rah type of guy, right? But he's established himself over the years because he's been a Super Bowl contending coach. Uh, he's known as a genius. So, but his expectations and the way he runs his team is very tight knit. So he's he's established that that you know what before you even go to the New England Patriots, you know the type of environment it is. Right. Um, you're either gonna pay. Bill Belichick doesn't have to be a big motivator. You're either gonna play there or they're not gonna bring you in. They pretty much vet a lot of their guys uh, before they even get there. So if I'm a guy that wants to play for the Patriots, you know what? There's probably going to be guys on the Patriots that I'm going to call and say, hey, how is Bill Belichick? And they're probably going to tell me, if you don't come here and you work hard and be on time, you're, you're, you're probably, there's no point you come here. Right. So, but I think when you look at the Jets-wise, I mean, I mean, it's a team that's going through transition. I mean, you got a bunch of new players. And a lot of times you have to, you know, set the tone for what kind of team you want and what you expect out of your players. Oh. Um and I don't, I don't kind of see that when it comes to the, to the Jets per se. I don't think, I think, uh, you know, if you go along with what you know, Mr. Chris Johnson said as, as far as him being known a brilliant mind and things like that, that could that could be all great. Uh, but when you're a head coach, you have to move, put the put the team in the right direction of which you want them to follow. Right. I mean, defensively, Greg Williams is that guy. Mm. Yeah, you he's firing. Right, exactly. Now, your offense still has to have that same type of complementary behavior because if that defense goes out and, and plays with the intensity that they have to play with, and my offense isn't that way, then it, it kind of creates the illusion that, you know, like you kind of on two separate pages. Yeah. Yeah, I agree with that. I mean, I, th- I think it almost is like two different teams – so you, I get the sense from listening to you that you, you think there's a leadership void at the top. Well, I think one of the biggest things you look at, who's the leader on the offense? I mean, I you look for the Donald. years you've had, you've had Jamal Adams leading the defense. Um, you, you, for the last few years, you've always had, you know, him on that side of the ball. That was the, the, the spoken guy that always tried to encourage uh, guys and tell me they need to play better. Guy that you know kind of stood out 
but who's been that guy on the offensive side of the ball to 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 uh, kind of meet that challenge? Who's that guy? I mean, I'm not, and it's got to be your quarterback. Your, yeah. your quarterback has got to be that guy on the other side of the ball. And there's not one team that I ever played on the Jets that we didn't have um, uh, our offensive leader on the other side of the ball. Obviously, the last guy I was there with with, with uh, Chad and Pennington and uh, Vinny Tessaverde, those guys took control of that offense. And yeah. they ran that offense. If you were a guy on defense and you went over there and the offense wasn't playing well and you said something about the offense, well, guess what? Vinny Tessaverde is going to tell you, hey, you know what? You just you stay on the other side of the ball and you do your job over there. Right. You let me handle this side of the ball. And I don't – for some reason, I just don't think Sam Donald has grown into that role uh, yet. Well – I don't – I don't see it. I mean, I don't see it. I haven't seen it. And yeah. obviously, you know, if you're not there in the locker room every day, you kind of – you never know what's going on with a team unless you're there at practice or in the meeting rooms. Right. That's 100%. But there are certain things and and – I always tell people a lot of my experiences has taught me well through being with the Jets over the years. I've been there during the bad, the good, all of the coaching changes, all the different personalities. So if anybody that's been through a whole lot of situations and, and I can see kind of telltale signs of what may be transpiring, I'm that guy. <laughs> yeah, you've seen everything. I mean, you were at the bottom with Rich Cotite at 1-15 and, and and you were also played for Bill Parcells, you know, so – You've seen both sides of it, so I think you can recognize good and bad from from a far distance. Pete it that Pete Carroll, Herm Edwards. I mean, I played with a lot. Al Groh, and all those guys are totally different personalities. But totally. one thing that they all had established without probably the one coach was that the fact they laid down their law. They didn't have to do it, um, uh, you know, publicly, mm-hmm. but. That team knew that, and for some reason, I don't kind of get that feeling that is what's happened there because I look at the intensity of the defense. You look at a guy like uh, uh, May, who's kind of yeah. been on the back burner, been kind of beat up, but damn, he he had a hell of a game. Hell of a game. Uh, uh, Sunday. Hell of a game for a guy that, you know, when you talk about losing a guy with Jamal Adams, um, you know, talent on defense, he stepped up. Yeah, he sure did. He had an excellent game. Um, do you see this team coming out of this? You know, I mean, what do you see as is there? What's going to happen to the Jets this year? What kind of season do you think they're going to have? I mean, I mean, looking at this schedule. <laughs> <laughs> well, I can say this. I mean, I know teams can turn things around. Um, you know, but. It's one thing, and I and I kind of I kind of look at this team, and I and if I wanted to, if, if they were going to be a college team, they would kind of be Florida State, and <laughs> and and the reason I say that is because when I look at Florida State, they for the last three years they haven't had any guys on that team that's been on a winning team. Uh-huh. They're eighteen and twenty one in the last going on four years, 18 and 21. Not one guy's had a losing set, had, had a winning season. Right. And a lot of these guys that have been on this team for the last, uh, you know, say two years, they haven't had the ability, I mean, had the taste of having a winning season, a playoff season. Um, yes, you look at last year, 
bam. Well, you play the whole half of the season, um, not well at all. Then you come and finish the season six and two. And then what people think, think is that when you come back into the next season, well, you're going to pick up with six and two. You're not. It don't yeah. work that way. It does not work that way. The NFL is a week-to-week business. I mean, I've been 0-4 and, and made a five-game run. Um, yeah. So things – and you got to realize, and, you, and, and the biggest thing with the NFL is that you're going to have change. Oh, you got a couple of players that obviously have opted out that, that I mean, that the team really needed. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, Mosley and, and, and guys like him with his cap, but that's on the defensive side. Um, yeah. You know – um, looking at going into going into like this week, I mean, you, I think Bell is hell. Bell has been one of your best players on the offense side of ball, but hell, he's out. Yeah, I he's mean, on, yeah, now he's and, on high. Right, so then you're gonna have to bring in a, you're bringing another running back that's you know obviously isn't gonna be in sync with everything. That's gonna you know take a few minutes, a few weeks to probably get adjusted to what they're doing there. Um, you know, there's just a lot of, lot of ifs and a lot of guys that's there that just, uh, if you're going based on week one, that just didn't prove themselves or show themselves. Now, I know he went to the other school in Florida, Frank Gore, the University of Miami, but uh, he is from Miami. Do you, do you know him at all? Have you ever met Frank I've, Gore? I've known Frank Gore when he was born out of the womb. <laughs> Actually, <laughs> Tell me, how's that? <laughs> well, he's well. His his um parents and his family. I mean, we we. I mean, our families have been. I mean, hell. I mean, well, you're from Coconut right. Grove. Like yeah, you guys are gr- really close to each other. Oh yeah, yeah. I've known Frank forever. I mean, yeah. his family and all. I mean, we go way back to my growing up days as far as his family and relatives and and, and things like that. So. I've I've known him and his family for a long time, and um, I've seen him. I haven't seen him probably in the last couple of years, but mm-hmm. I think last time I saw him, I was with my son, and he was, you know, we we kind of had a conversation. But yeah, I mean, I've known Frank and his family for a long time, and and obviously it's been amazing what he's been able to do. But yeah. you know, but he ain't, he ain't the twenty five carry a game guy, so. No, not um, at the age of 37. So uh. No, and they need somebody that's going to come in. Obviously, I think Bell was that guy. I love the way Bell was able to, he's, you know, as far as a runner and also some of the things that they did, put him out there, you know, out, out, out as a wide receiver and put him one-on-one and some of the stuff they started doing with him will look really well and then you get this, um, yeah. you know, setback. So that's going to be a blow to the team, but hopefully – you know, it's tough. It's, it's great being at the games and being able to root your guys on when you're injured, but, you know, it's not – it doesn't have the same effect Yeah. Um, as a cheerleader. You know, they're uh, they're really thin at inside linebacker, Marvin. You got anything left? You think you can give them some snaps? <laughs> Man, I know I'm better than somebody in the NFL right now. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> somebody. Well, you know, it, you know, it, it's – you know, it's a lost art, you know, the old linebacking ways. I mean, yeah. you know, the, the game has changed so much. And, um, you know, and a, and a lot of that experience is obviously, you know, a few years ago I interned up there. So I got some insight and understand what was going on. The game has changed big time. It's, it's, it's not the same. I mean, it's more on the entertainment side. <laughs> right. Well, one, one of the things that is the same is the Patriots winning. And yep. you were there. I just wanted to go back in time a little bit. You were there. 
it playing in the game when Bledsoe was injured and yep. uh, Mr. Brady came in. And if I'm not mistaken, I know Mo made the hit, but you were pretty close to the play. I think you might have been pretty close. Uh, Right? No, I, actually, I, I think it was a third down play. I may have been, I may have been out of it. I may have been off on that down. Um, okay. But I think I was on the sideline going, holy shit. Yeah. <laughs> um, but, yeah, uh-huh. I, I think in – I mean, we ended up winning that game, but obviously we won because the time ran out. If he, had, if he had, Brady had started that game, we probably would have lost that game and kind of, you know, and, um, and I told people, I thought, I said, well, man, that guy can – that guy pretty good. If he'd have had another quarter, man, we probably would have lost this game. Yeah. Um, so you you could see something then. You could see something a absolutely. little special. Oh, absolutely, absolutely. I mean, absolutely. I mean, you go back to um, the early careers of even guys. Uh, I mean, with Brady or even guys like Peyton Manning. Peyton Manning was on a losing Indianapolis team when he first came in. I mean, we used to beat the brakes off of them. Right. Um, and I would tell him after the games, I said, Peyton, man, I said, man, you're going to be one hell of a quarterback. And, you know, but you can kind of see those things in those guys because they never get rattled. Yeah. Um, and, you know, they go out and throw an interception. It doesn't affect them on the next play. It's kind of – and that's one of the things I loved about playing with guys like Chad Pennington. I mean, Chad had that type of mentality. Yeah. I mean, he's a great guy, great sideline guy. Um you know, no matter what the situation is, he felt like he can pull it out. If we're down by a touchdown or 10 points, he felt like we were still going to win. And, and that's the kind of mindset you have to have. Um, you know, and, and looking at, you know, going back to, to uh, New England, I mean, I, you know, Bill, I mean, running a disciplined program and being Belichick, you, you're going to put yourself in the best opportunities to win games just by being – because of the expectations of that team. Right. You know, uh, you know, talking about how Cam Newton may do, how he was from Carolina, then maybe having to adjust, and he's maybe not like what, what you would call the typical Belichick guy, you know, with the other antics and things like that that have nothing to do with football. But you can believe they had that conversation before he got there. Yeah. <laughs> it's just amazing, though, that they've been just doing it for 20 years, you know, and much to the detriment of the Jets and their Jets fans because they've had to watch this up close for so long. But uh, well, well, look at it this way, though. I mean, as I look back at look at New England over the years, but what scribes have any other teams in in the division made to even catch up with them? Right. That's all my thing. When I look at the season, I go, well, what is Miami doing? What is the what are the Jets doing? The only team that's kind of even halfway gotten the point, gotten the message is is the Bills. Yeah, and which is probably, you know, besides New England right now, I think the Bills probably still have somewhat of an edge on New England right now. That's the best team in that division, mm-hmm. but they made those strides moving forward. Look at the defense. I mean, hell, their defense is is arguably, you know, uh, uh, one of the best right now yeah. in, the, in the NFL. I think you know if if if, if Josh Allen could get some of his stuff tightened up and and, and fine tuned. I mean, they may have a team. It may not be that explosive offense that, uh, you know, New England had, you know, under Brady scoring 40, 45 points a game. But if Josh Allen is one of those guys that learns not to turn the ball over and just play solid uh, football and keep the chains moving and not make mistakes with that type of defense, you're going to win games. Yeah. Is Sam, Don- the- 
Can, you, can Sam Darnold be that guy? Can he be a franchise quarterback? Well, I mean, I think he, he I think he can, but that just has to be at right now looking in the uh year three, he just hasn't made that jump. Yeah. And that's when right now when you gotta remember, you know, going in the first year, obviously, you know, I mean, I mean he's had obviously two head coaches, um, you know, two different types of coaches. Um, but I think with him, he just he's probably gonna. I mean, you probably need some new blood in some ways. I mean, whether it's a a, a, a different way to be coached or, or or and you know, but I, I it's hard for me to believe that we're going into year three and we're still making those same type of mistakes. Um, there hasn't really been that push. Now we we can look at over overall and say, well, look at his weapons. I mean, does it, is this why? Does he have any type of blow? Any receiver that scares any no, uh, not, other not teams? Really. Not really. No. Are they getting separation? I mean, a lot of that has an effect on the whole team. If these wide receivers aren't getting open, well, that also hurts your offensive line. It's, yeah. it, you know, because the ball's not coming out as fast. Yeah. But overall. I mean, it just seems like he has not progressed progressed the way he should. Normally, when you're in year three, I mean, usually year one, you got your mistakes. Year two, you know, like the way he finished the last season, okay, yeah. you know. But now all of a sudden, you come right back the next season, and, and, and it's this. I mean, I don't even see the energy. That's the issue I have with it. I don't see the energy, the excitement. I don't see the way I made a mistake. Let's go back out. Yeah. And, and 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 do better, or the encouragement of the teammates. I mean, I don't, I don't, I just don't see it. Yeah, he kind of had a hangdog look after uh, after throwing that interception, and the body language probably wasn't great, you know. And other teammates feed off that, you know. It's so uh, you raise a very interesting point there. Uh, before I let you go, Marvin, I just want to talk about what you're doing now. You're you're keeping busy in football. You are the director of operations for the NFL Draft Bible, which is a company and a website that helps um, you know free agent app you know players try to find positions you know land jobs on rosters and also you're the head coach of the Omaha Reef of the football team been around long it's the longest pro indoor football team been around going on 22 years (laughs) is that right that's in the champions indoor football league yes right so why you're really staying involved it's just you just love football that much to stay that involved well, I think at this point in my life, I mean, I've I've a lot of these guys that I work with are uh, undrafted free agents. That guys looking for opportunities, looking for shots. Um, um, you know, I kind of been betting on a lot of the small school guys that would get them opportunities because I just find that they need the help the most. Even though I wasn't a, a, a undrafted free agent, uh, I know that there are certain things that you can do to. Uh, help yourself get in a position to maybe even just getting a workout with a team or even being signed with a team. So um, I just kind of encourage these guys and and kind of put their names out there, especially this year is very imperative because a lot of these, if you look at the NFL going into this past season, with all these pro days being canceled, I think it really killed a lot of the D2 Division two yeah. and uh, undrafted guys. So it's very imperative for even guys now that football uh, senior seasons got canceled for for them to be, you know, a part of what I'm doing. I think we can help them greatly like that. So, for me, yeah. that's what it's about, man. I, I like working with these guys that are 
you know, the underdogs and trying to help get them opportunities with NFL and CFL teams. I'm partnered with 30 countries around the world. So uh, there's a lot of ways guys can get opportunities and get film and, and prepare to hopefully, you know, get into their dreams or not be better persons. <laughs> yeah. So you're really staying, it's almost like you're, you're, you're doing coaching and some scouting too, because you're looking for these guys, right? So it's, it's really, yeah. you were absolutely. Too Absolutely, it goes hand in hand. For the last five years, I've been, uh, you know, consistently coaching. So that's what I do anyway. I recruit my own team. I recruit my players, and that's what I already have been doing. So this is kind of a a natural fit for me, and also helps me, you know, evaluate some ta- new talent for myself. But yeah. you know, I've, I've managed to, you know, through my leagues and my stuff like that, I managed to, you know, put some players and get them some great opportunities on the next level. So. Um, I just wanted to expand it and open it up to more guys, um, you know, and, and, that had, and it's been really good. It's really worked out really good, getting a lot of feedback, getting some good NFL workouts uh, for some of these guys. So that's awesome. it looks like it's helping, you know. So That's, that's awesome. The, the fans, I, I'm going to really date myself here, but uh, I remember, you know, I was covering the Jets when you were a rookie in 93, and you probably don't even remember this, but when the Jets drafted you, I actually went down to your house in Florida. If you recall, yep. I did Drew Rosenhaus, your agent, set up an yep. interview, and I sat in your living room with your family. Yep. And uh, I think Fred Absolutely. was there, and you were just like this twenty. I think you were probably twenty-one at the I time. Was, well, I, when I got that, I was actually twenty in that April. I didn't turn twenty-one till June. Oh wow! So, so you're twenty. Uh, you're, <laughs> that's incredible. Now I feel really old, but uh, yeah. So. You know, I was, I remember watching you in college. I covered a, uh, a Miami, uh, Florida state game at the orange bowl. And I'm like, who the hell is this guy playing linebacker? He's pretty good. So. Yeah, it was, it was great times, man. That was great times of football. Yeah, I always have a great memory. You know, we, you know, we've had our battles over the years, you know, but I, I've come to realize that, you know, you know, you had a job to do and you, you know, you, you did a great job at, at covering a team. And obviously when we're players, we always, <laughs> we always look at the media a certain way, but I, you know, sure, I but as I thought about it over the years, you, you I mean, you were always, a, uh, you know, a fair guy to the organization. You called it like you saw it. Yeah. And, well, thank you. Well, thanks. Well, Marvin, thank you so much for popping in. I, I loved having you on <laughs> and uh, reminiscing. And I also, you know, like to get your thoughts on the current team. So I really, really appreciate it. Oh, yeah, man. Anytime. Thanks. Appreciate it. Have a great day. And welcome back. Let's dig deep into the Twitter mailbag. And I know this this was I think we set a record this week for most questions on Twitter and obviously a very disturbed or, or disgruntled fan base right now. So. Let's go into, I'm going to try to get to as many of these as I can. These were really good questions this week. And the first one is at Lawrence Fodor. Why doesn't Gase get Darnold on the move with rollouts and bootlegs? Wait, great question, Lawrence. I was wondering the same thing during the game. Darnold is at his best when he's throwing on the run. Uh, You're going to see a clinic this Sunday at MetLife because Kyle Shanahan runs that style of offense you know, with uh, Jimmy Garoppolo, you saw it, as you noted in your question, with McVeigh and Goff, with the Rams. It's that style of offense. I don't know why Adam Gase doesn't utilize that more because it would actually help the offensive line because you're moving the quarterback's launch point that um, gives the pass, makes the pass rush harder to predict. So I don't know why he does it. 
Uh, I've asked them before in the past, and I've never really got a satisfactory answer. Next question from at Mike Petro 14. Given that Joe Douglas is a big gay supporter, how much leash do you think Joe gives him before he pulls the plug if things continue? Uh, first of all, let me clarify a technicality. Joe Douglas does not control Adam Gase's fate based on the Jets' power structure. They both report to Christopher Johnson. So any move regarding Gase would have to come from Christopher Johnson. Although, let's be honest, if things really go south, naturally, I think Christopher would confer with his general manager, who was started with the six-year contract. Uh, He's not going anywhere. So, uh, hey, look, you're right. Gase and Joe Douglas are close. Gase basically got Douglas this job, but uh, Joe is not an idiot. And if it comes to a point where he doesn't want to sabotage his own career, he's going to do what's best for the organization. Next one from at H.A. Meyer 23. What will it take for Gase to real uh, use more West Coast offense plays? It seems like Sam thrives on throws in the 5 to 10 yard range. It feels like every play is either a screen behind the line of scrimmage or something over 10 yards. Uh, I, you know, Intriguing question, and I looked it up. On Sunday, in the 5 to 10 yard range, that's air yards, Gase, uh, Darnold was 5 for 7 with uh, that tied for 15th in the league in completion percentage, so he's right in the middle. Obviously a small body of work. On throws 11 yards or longer, he was only 3 for 11, which tied for 27th in the league among quarterbacks. I think that was actually the bottom. Uh, The Jets don't run a West Coast offense. That is not Adam Gase's system. However, I do think they should use more plays in that range. Like you said, I think Darnold's okay in that range, but it just takes a certain play design. It takes wide receivers who can run those quick slants, and I'm not sure the Jets really have guys like that. Uh, Next, at Mogef's. It seems like Gase was uh, actually using Bell as a receiver a lot before he got hurt. So, yes, Gase was terrible in this game, but at least he stayed true to his word on using Gase, uh, using Bell in different ways. So he only had two targets, Le'Veon Bell, but he did line up four times uh, wide of the formation and twice in the slot. So, yes, you're right. There were signs that he was using Le'Veon in a little different way, which is good. But now Le'Veon's going to probably be out a couple of weeks. Next one from at JWRP666. How much of Darnold's performance can be attributed to him, Gase, or the personnel? Who should I blame, Rich? Well, game one, and this is a loaded question, and I think you really have to take a long-term view of it. But for game one, I would put most of it on Darnold. He just made mistakes he shouldn't have made, missing receivers, the sack, the delay. Uh, You know, that's not on coaching. That's just a quarterback who had a bad day. So for this game, I would put most of it on Darnold. I do think Gase needs to improve as a play caller. And we've touched on the personnel issue. I think uh, there are some weaknesses there around Darnold. So a little bit of all three, but mostly Darnold for this particular week. Next one from at John J. Cuomo. Triple dog dare you. You can say only positive things that you can't say positive things about the Jets for 20 seconds. I tried it and failed. Show me what you got. 
Well, John Jay, uh, all right, I'll try. This is going to be tough, but let's go. Starting now, how about Marcus May in this game? Marcus May had the game of his life playing a new position, playing the Jamal Adams position. He had two sacks. He only rushed the passer four times in this game, and he had two full sacks. I also liked Makai Becton. I thought he did some really good things at left tackle. His first start, he gave up a sack. I thought it was a coverage sack, but I thought he had a really good game. Boom, 25 seconds right there, John Jay. So anyway, good question, though. I like it. Anyway, another one from at FOB 75 times one. Have you ever seen a worse opening day in all your time covering the Jets? Actually, yes. 1996, the Jets lost 31-6 to to Denver with their new quarterback, Neil O'Donnell, who was sacked nine times. That was ugly. And then probably worse than that, the 99 opener at home against New England. Jets are talking Super Bowl that year. Vinny Testaverde blows out his Achilles in the second quarter. Season over. Opening day. Two really bad opening days. And so that is the end of the third quarter. And we're going to wrap up the show with a little personal recollection as we do every week. My favorite part of the show. Sometimes I reach back into the history of covering the Jets. And, you know, they're playing the 49ers this week. And it's going to be a tough one. They're 0-1, defending NFC champions. They are a little banged up. Debo Samuel out. George Kittle, their great tight end. It sounds like he may not play. He's got a sprained knee. Maybe the Jets catch a break. I still think the Niners are going to win this game. But, you know, when I think of the Niners, I think of all the way back to 98. That's the Jets open the season against the Niners in the old Candlestick Park. And the week before, the Jets were finishing the preseason in Chicago against the Bears. And the Jets were staying at the Chicago Hyatt. And I had requested an interview with Bill Belichick, who at the time was the defensive coordinator under Bill Parcells. Now, the assistant coaches didn't usually talk to the media then. Uh, Parcells didn't like it. He didn't want them talking to the media. But somehow we arranged this clandestine interview at the Chicago Hyatt. And it was on the day of the last preseason game. And I met Belichick in the ballroom where he had been conducting the defensive meeting earlier that day. And uh, he agreed to this interview, and it was fascinating because he was already well into his San Francisco prep. He showed me his game tape. And when I say game tape, I mean the old-fashioned VHS, you know, the videotape. This was pre-digital. There were no discs, anything like that. It was not computerized. So he had about 20 of these VHS tapes stacked up on his table. And we just went through a few of them, Steve Young, all the great Niners, and he was, it was really like a graduate level class and how to watch film. He was giving me little tips on watch this wide receiver's feet. You can tell which route he's going to run based on the way his feet are pointing. Look at the offensive lineman. You can tell by the way his knuckles are on the ground, what's going to happen. I mean, it was really, really interesting stuff, and I ended up writing a story from the Daily News and he was kind enough to do that, just kind of opened his world to me for, for about an hour. I remember the people in the room. It was Mike Tannenbaum, who would later become the Jets GM, of course, now works at ESPN. It was Scott Pioli, who would later be the, the Patriots top executive and later the G Chiefs GM, and me. So it was this is the four of us hanging out watching tape. 
And no one knew where Parcells was in the hotel. And at one point, someone joked like, hey, does Bill even know we're here? And I remember Belichick saying something like that. That's all right. What he doesn't know won't hurt him. And it was almost like you got the feeling it was like when the cat's away, the mice are going to play. So Belichick was kind of going rogue here and doing this interview with me. And at that point, I don't even think he cared. Their relationship uh Belichick Parcells wasn't that great at that particular time. And I think they both knew they were going to end up splitting up after that year. But what a what a treat for me as a reporter to be allowed into that world. So I'll always remember that and thank him. The Jets ended up losing that game in San Francisco. It was a wild overtime game and they lost, I think it was a 96-yard run by Garrison Hurst. Just one of the more stunning and bizarre endings you will ever see. But when I think of the Niners... I always remember that, even though we were in Chicago, we were looking at the Niners. So that's my 49er memory of the week. Um, we'll see what happens this Sunday at MetLife. Hope you enjoyed the show. I want to thank my guest, Marvin Jones, former Jet linebacker, and my producer, Jeff Scopin. I hope you guys enjoy these every week. Please rate the show. Please subscribe. You can get it anywhere you find your podcasts whether it's on Apple, Spotify, Google Play, or, of course, any of the ESPN platforms. Enjoy the game on Sunday. We'll be back next week on Flight Deck. <laughs>